to Mind Crime Limited Show with me, Swithin Dobson, and him, Tim Patton. Today we discuss why Hopper and Paul are right and Mises and Moldberg wrong. Tim. Why Moldberg's post-libertarians mostly wrong? That would be my, that'd be a more precise title here, but I included some other words in the title here. Moldberg, Curtis Yarvin, popular figure on the dissident right for a number of years, um, dispute with the Hoppian anarchists, as well as Rothbardian anarchists, whom both of them like each other in a sense, like, you know, Hoppe and Yarvin has had dinner, lunch, to supposedly speak with each other. Um, but uh, I would say that Moldbug, slash Yarvin, I'll refer to him as Moldbug, doesn't say this, but he's arguably what, he's arguably as a Misesian. And Mises is an advocate of the night watchman pro-minimum state. I mean, he's, he's, Mises himself, to get into side baseball here, is, he's like friends with Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand is, of course, a, a minimum state advocate, a minarchist, as the Martin Parlance says. And the minimum state, as Hoppe argues, becomes a maximum um, quite quickly. Um, this state ends up becoming a looting process, especially if done democratically. Anarcho-tyranny or a failed state will result eventually. Uh, Moldberg makes the mistake that Hopper criticizes in his book, The Democracy That God That Failed, in his chapter entitled The Errors of Classical Liberalism. Now, that, to me, has always been the central chapter of The Democracy That God That Failed. That's that's where it's going, because guys like Mises, the so-called classic liberals, are advocates of democracy, as well as Hayek, for that matter. Or at least they view democracy as an improvement over, over monarchy, because because kings are not above the law. Uh, and Hoppe will make the point that public officials, and he does this in his lecture as well as a chapter, um, that the king, that public officials are kind of, are actually in a sense worse than kings. So Hoppe becomes a kind of monarchist. Now, whether he is a monarchist or not, a, or just like a, I would call him a Burkean monarchist. If, like if you had like a Burkean as in Edinburgh, if you have like different options and you have to pick the least bad option, you'd pick, you'd pick monarchy based on time preference. But I think this is what Moldberg gets wrong about Hoppe. Now, whether Hoppe himself admits this or not, or has changed his view is a good question. But Hoppe himself is not a monarchist. He still views it as bad. It's like picking between a looter who take, or a mugger, who has a joke that says that, you know, $10 or all your dollars, or almost all your dollars. Um, and he, uh, so, so that's Moldberg's big error, is his, is his statism here. Um, how a small private state will become a failed one or an arco-tyrannical one. And he's very big on bringing up all the instances of anarcho-tyranny. Um, but I would say he takes Hoppe's defense of monarchy in a backhanded manner and turns it into monarchies are the best form of states. Uh, so, and we did we did this somewhat in our our episode on why J.S. Mill and, and uh, Mises are wrong about a year ago here. Um, and you can sort of get into the... Te- you do hopping and phrase, you get bogged in the technical details here. But but a family or a small firm, or even a medium-sized firm, contrary to Thaddeus Russell's belief, is not a mini-state, and Hoppe has a lecture on this. Um, so, like, it, Moldberg's advocate of private dictatorships in the commercial setting, uh, you know, as David Freeman says, that most successful businesses are run by, and Moldberg will say this too, most successful businesses are private dictatorships. Well, of course, but those people aren't bossing you around all the time like they're not it's not a total totalitarian thing the state is an entity which does lots of things and that's another thing that Moldberg misses here is like the growth of the state i mean he reads books by like burnham about the managerial revolution and he knows them quite well i've made my way through both the books he's recommended on this and they're excellent 
but like you get how you get start with a small state and you end up with a large state here, like which is the regulatory manager all state. Um, and that is another thing which you know he, he ends up praising people like FDR in a sense as being like Machiavellians of a kind. Uh, okay, so so he wants to sort of reboot the U.S. government, but like reboot it to do what? Reboot it to do why? Um, you know, in a sense, you should abolish it. Um, and actually, some of his solutions here, I would say, are backwards here. In the sense that in his interview with Dave Smith, Dave Smith was making the point that if there is a real economy out there, if anything, that real economy, quote unquote, which isn't being choked out by easy money and regulations and all things, is actually stronger than ever. Um, um, and this is where Mises being a good economist would say this flight to real value. And this is the part where Mises is great, um, sound money. But do we have sound money here in Britain, the United States? Not really, let alone places like Japan. Uh, and in that interview with Dave Smith, again, Moldbug would say like, you know, if, if your dad has, if your dad's sick running a marathon is good for you, but, but the marathon will kill him um, at some point. And he says, in a sense, he's right here. In a sense that Yarvin Moltes Moldbug is right that like, keep running a marathon that maybe maybe the west is financially but then but then the west is just criminal in that regard it's just exploitative as the marxists would argue um um that you know it just runs on money printing and so to speak but even so he's not entirely he 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 misses his argument here um if you take peter zian's work which some which has some like concordance with moldbug as well as Todd Lewis, although I'm not ever sure if Todd Lewis is taking this seriously or not in his defense of empires with Keith Preston, as well as his work on Tom Wood's show, um, the U.S. does protect global shipping. Um, yes, plenty of the wars are stupid, the United States does. But, you know, you can have globalism, according to Peter Zian, and I think it's a fairly sound argument, without U.S. destroyers and formerly British destroyers basically protecting against piracy and other sorts of rogue types of mercantilism. Um, um, so, so all this trade that he talks about is predicated on the United States. So, so maybe the free money printing, you know, and the Pentagon's budget grows every year. So maybe, maybe the U S does provide a service, uh, is the backbone of it. If you take the neocon, neolib propaganda, seriously, you end up with that. So, so maybe the U S does do a virtuous service. It's not purely criminal. If you take a view again, Moldbug's a status, Mises is status. Hayek is complicated. So I guess the question for the, the or, let's get to the origin of laws question here. And that's why I brought Paul in here. So like, if you, can you have a such thing as a private state? Uh, now, some people will say that's a, that's a contradiction in terms or, or in, and Hoppe would call this a private law society. So what kind of laws would the private law society enforce here? That to me is the question here. Because a lot of the critics would just say, well, this is just going to be warlords taking over. Now, you could use that warlordism to describe the current state of affairs. And like, see, this is where the anarcho-tyranny example comes in. Like, like, like he, he makes fun of this and he correct to do so, Moldbug, as well as Mises, not that Mises was in the same time as us, but he makes fun of this. But like the state today, and this is where Hoppe's point about like the gangs is a quote unquote above the law. You know, are any of the state bureaucrats really ever, forget qualified immunity, I mean, are any like major political leaders or bureaucrats in the managerial state ever really held account? You know, no. It's it's if anything, they're if they're anything, they're, they're they benefit from them, they be benefit from being criminals here. So, like, what kind of laws would they force? State law or law that's privately generated? 
on the market. Now, see, this is why one of the reasons I put Paul in, in the Paul in it is like, what is the market for laws? Uh, well, I would say the market for laws, I, you almost have to have a, a sort of transcendental origin story for laws. Otherwise, it's just, otherwise laws are just fiat or operational. So Molbug and Mises and Hoppe will all make fun of Hayek. But Hayek, to me, actually comes up with a better secular theory of the law's origin than Moldbug does. Because the question is, of course, you know, if you have a private, so to speak, a private right protection agency, what kind of laws would they enforce? Would they just enforce their fee at will? Or would they enforce something else? You know, would they enforce natural law? And so natural law, I always, I always have a kind of dodgy relationship with in my own head. Like, I can sort of get, get, get why you can have it. Um, so that, that's my sort of over out here. Um, you need some origin story for laws. I don't think Moldbug and Mises have it, which is one of the reasons why I think they end up becoming classical liberal statists. Now, they're fairly good on most areas, but not on this one area. So the question is, what laws would be enforced where, and where do they come from? Swithin, what do you make of my, my um, spiel here on, on Moldbug's errors here? I think Hoppe is very good at going after um, the, you know, the errors of classical liberals. Um, I, you know, Mises is great on everything, but except this origin story and like this origin thing, not the origin story, this, this, this small state, you know, it, 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 through the managerial revolution, it just grows and grows and grows. And you, like, you can, you can, you, you can, you sort of can say there's conventions, um, that, lead to their growth here, like the regulatory state. Well, it wouldn't be reasonable if you didn't have to have this, if your floors weren't slippery. Okay, well, let's create a, a bureaucracy to do that. And slowly, but slowly, but slowly, these grow. And then Moldbug has no, like, account for the growth of this state. He, he's right to be disgusted by it, as all of them are. But I would say, in this sense, his recommendations are backwards. So what do you make of my spiel here, Swithin? I think uh, you have hit upon a lot of um, correct areas. I think the uh, problem ultimately with the Hobbesian outlook, which I think um, Mises and uh, Moberg uh, have, is um, is that they think that law is essentially uh, arbitrary uh, and needs to be just sort of enforced by uh, the, uh, the the strongest will and the strongest power. Uh, otherwise, you're just going to have competing um, interests that are, are diametrically opposed and you'll just have violence. Um, I don't think that's true. Uh, I, I think that if you have things like, um, if you take a natural law position, you know, I mean, clearly within the... Uh, the family, there is uh, reasons to act in particular ways, and also with your neighbour as well. I mean, yes, I suppose in certain circumstances in which you might be able to um, exploit your neighbour or or basically enslave him in certain ways. I mean, I mean, people you might do that if it's in your interest potentially, but there's many reasons to why you wouldn't even want to bother doing so, and in many cases you don't really have the means to do so. Um. When it comes to um, law generation, um, I think it's sort of, this gets into a weird definition of term things. It's kind of what is a law? Um, in this case, a law, I think, is uh, is 
is something which, if you violate it, you are the community sort of accepts that you can deal with this uh, person differently than you would otherwise be able to. Um, I think that's kind of what a law is um, in practice. Uh, I know there's various other definitions. I mean, so for instance, you know, Thomas Aquinas will say an ordinance of reason for the common good spread uh, by one who's in charge of the community. Uh, yeah, okay, you, you could use the term law that way. I don't know. There's, there's reasons to do it. But the um, the nature of law does seem to be that. So then the question arises, you know, why do people think certain things are okay to do to other people if they if they do something and why is it not it's okay to do it so i mean for instance if you got people arrested because of like coronavirus uh, violations the only reason that could take place is because you had significantly non people who wouldn't try and oppose such um action by the police on the people who are breaking like lockdown restrictions etc um, and also enough of the police who actually carried on and enforced it, because obviously they didn't think it was correct to enforce, and of course they wouldn't have done. Um, so I, I think when you come to law, I mean, you, you're kind of going into culture, and you're going into uh, why certain laws develop. And I think this is where sort of like Hayek is right in his kind of evolutionary um, approach to law. Although I would say that uh, for Aquinas, I don't think it's just sort of in a sense, arbitrary or merely pragmatic. I think, you know, know, people look at the way humans are and human nature, what are the goals um, of of humans, and then, you know, can create a system of uh, rational law, uh, which can be sort of like from the bottom up. Now, that doesn't mean that um, there isn't a body which says... um, what the law is or is not. I mean, we discussed this when we looked at, um, I think it was the Supreme Court episode, that essentially for a group of people, you need somebody to basically define what the law is. Uh, because if they have come into a, a dispute, if one person thinks they commit an offence and the other doesn't, um, abortion is the obvious example. And practically speaking, the easiest way of conceiving of that situation arising is the father uh, uh, with a dispute against the mother of the of the aborted child. I mean, that would be the easiest way of conceiving that scenario. Um, have they come to defense or have they not? I mean, you kind of need uh, a judgment on that. But I think that's sort of a process which takes place sort of at a certain level of development. I mean, prior to that, you're probably going to have heads of, well, basically, patriarchs of various descriptions who would sort of decide on what that is now that said now the Hobbesian will say well yes but you need to be able to enforce those laws and of course you'll yes you will at some point but i think where the Hobbesian goes wrong is to say that you need a singular body to do it uh now it might be true that the lawmaking body would need uh some of its own sort of troop i say troops or retained fighting men of certain description um, but there's no reason why, if people are abiding by the law in general, well, by which I mean abiding, I mean, um, if they were uh, providing sort of legal services uh, or whatever, 
uh, by, by by legal service, I mean uh, trials and you know just the mechanical. Have you have you broken this law? Yes, and then what are the appropriate punishments? If they're within that, I, uh, I I don't see why it would necessitate having a singular system to 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 pull that off. And I think that's the major error of the along with the Hobbesianism. That's the major error of uh, the sort of the minarchists is thinking that a single body of law requires a um, single body of law requires a single enforcer of it. Oh, and secondly, as well, uh, the logic of the, of the as well, which it goes, which gets, which is why they look, I think, law in a sort of a bad way, is I think the logical conclusion of sort of the minicist view is to have one world minicist state, so, because everyone must be conformed to this sort of singular law which is the that of uh, minicism which of course is a problem because again it misunderstands how and why laws are generated that they are and the approach i've just i've outlined explains why different countries end up with different norms and different laws um whereas the the um minicist would want to you could argue would want to impose it on Everybody else, and this is why, for instance, some minarchists would, would would like the federal government say in America over the state governments because it's less oppressive than the state government. Um, so, when you mention well, which law would the rights protection agency uh, defend, well, whatever the law is in that area, um, I've I've suggested in the past, and if you have a, a situation of lots of micro political communities, you basically then have sort of uh, competition between. L- laws uh in each of those areas however those are, are generated um but yeah i mean if it is the case that you've got yeah if you've got two people with two different legal views then yes you could negotiate you could fight or you could leave and go somewhere else um i think that answers your questions uh or your comment i, I think it does if not um tell me Oh yes, I, I was the outline. Of the answer is pretty good. You you brought up the point which I forgot to bring up, which is Hoppe's insight is fairly elementary because you know most classical liberal economists will hold the view that competition is bad. I don't think Malta Volberg himself would hold this. If you only had one cell phone company or one restaurant, would you have very good quality of service? Probably not. If you had more competing against each other, this is the logic of competition. Uh, you're going to have better food now. The question is, why isn't this true for everything else, in particular this very important area, namely law production and law enforcement? Uh, and there's never really an answer given other than, well, actually in this instance, and this is Hoppe will bring this up in his areas of classical liberalism, in this instance, there there is actually, uh, uh, monopolies are actually good or virtuous or useful, uh, depending on your format here. And you know, this is why I think the origin of law question is useful here, because you have on the one hand the sort of monopoly question here, which is it's an elementary insight relative to Hoppe. Uh, not that it, now he's brilliant to point it out in such a clear, concise manner, uh, but the but the um, but the actual the actual thinking here shows up in many areas here. Uh, that you know, like so, like his private dictatorship model, Moldbug, as well as David Friedman has this for like, you know, when he's getting into arguments with Ben Burgess. You know, that is true that like small mid and mid-sized corporations are not democratic, but you're, this is like a term probably here. The state is very much different. Even Moldbug will admit that the state is very much different. And so will Mises here. 
Um, but but then why are you saying that one state is better? Because if you take the logic seriously, it's just as you stated, you need one world government. Um, um, and then and then in practice, this just ends up being whichever the largest state around here. Uh, so in, in in the Roman Empire's day, it was Rome. And now it's you know the United States here. Uh, so you know, far from being you know a laugher, I mean they like to make fun of like the American invasion of Afghanistan. But as Todd Lewis would say, he sometimes Moldbug sometimes becomes a kind of Christopher Hitchens like figure here. Um, um, so maybe the United States should go around you know spreading one world monarchy here. Uh, uh, now he's a critic of the United States very much so, Moldbug, but. That that would that would that would I would say is the sort of central crux. But so I want to discuss like why why do people obey laws here? And one of the reasons I brought Paul in here is I think there's a bottom up nature to laws which gets missed. Hayek doesn't miss it. You know, if anyone's listened to Russ Roberts, you know, you, you can criticize Russ Roberts for a lot of things, but I think he's a fairly good uh, evangelist for Hayek. I think one of the virtues of Hayek is is Hayek recognizes the bottom up nature thing. This is the use of knowledge in society. You know, this is the um, his theories of law here. Because I would say Hayek is a more thoroughgoing atheist uh, consistently than and, and Gary North agrees with this as well than Mises is. Now Gary North is a fundamentalist Christian, which Mises and Moldbug are not here. But this is why I bring up Paul here. That uh, you know, why do people obey laws? I'd say one of the reasons people obey laws. A true Socratic form is it benefits them. Um, you know, why don't, you know, one of the reasons is like, I, why don't you steal? You know, why do you generally obey public traffic laws? Why, I, you know, I drive on the right, correct side of the road because, like, I would get killed if I didn't do it. Um, that's a fairly reasonable thing. I can imagine alternate universe, that alternate universe exists in Australia, the United Kingdom, where the other side is. That's a convention. Hoppe will bring up those conventions can be, Hoppe will also bring up the convention of alphabets. There are certain things that are you could easily imagine them being different, but there are certain rules that you know, you know. But but the, the rules of correct driving in general, they basically make sense. You can tweak what what precise rules are, but that you know you know you have to sort of pay attention. You have to you know the same way with operating horses or something like that. So there are sort of rules, and like you just get killed if you didn't obey them. You the individual here. Uh, you didn't get killed. You know, you don't necessarily need a sign say don't jump over a fence and fall in. You know, although sometimes they have them. Or you know, don't put your hand on a hot stove. You know, certain rules are reasonable here, and everyone just sort of obeys them in an apraxiological like manner. Like if they didn't do it, they'd die. You know, you know, don't eat poison, things like that. Um, um, but there's other rules, rules about other people. Now, we sort of discussed this with Rick's story on this virtue of selfishness episode here, which, which so what, now we're doing rules of others. Like, so like, you know, it's one thing that like, I, you know, take care of myself because I like myself, but then we have to deal with other people's property as well as other people's uh, bodies here. And this is where you say, well, the, the minarchists would say we need a state to deal with this, these disputes here. As stated, the state's a monopolist. But they still think in this instance, the state would actually be a useful thing to adjudicate disputes here. And I, this is where I disagree here. You would, would want competition here. You wouldn't want one provider of defense and uh, legal services here. You want lots of providers. And then which one, which, which one would they do here? But back to the origin, back to like, why do people, why would, why would the sort of low people obey? Well, one reason the low people obey is there are Christians here. 
And this is a historical fact I think gets missed by Volbug. Here you get the Christianization of the Roman Empire, uh, you know, and then you get the Christianization of large parts of the world here. Now, you could, there's plenty of excesses. There's plenty of disagreements about what Christianity is internally, of course. Um, and there's plenty of, like, disputes over, like, you know, are the Catholics correct, the Lutherans, the Anabaptists? Oh, yeah, hundreds of disputes. But you sort of see a patchwork developing um, with a lot of force and a lot of violence, of course. But I would say less violence than in the previous series. So so one reason why the proles and the low people would obey the laws is precisely, you know, the sort of religious reason. Now, why would the top? Well, the top would obey it for also the same reasons that I stated, like the conventional reasons. I imagine when Bill Gates drives, he ever does. He drives on the right side of the road. I imagine he, you know, eats with a fork, you know, uses things like that. But then the other rules are the other people. This is where, again, the classical liberals have problems because the present day bureaucrats are sort of like kings in the sense that and politicians are above the law. You know, monarchies was above the law, but so are like politicians and other things. So instead of just being a less bad, uh, uh, they end up supporting. I don't think bring back. Uh, Hoppe made the karma that if you brought Charles back, I actually think Charles might be a worse governor than the current ruler of Britain. Uh, but that that's that's disputed here. I don't know about that. Uh, but the the true goal would be a system where which doesn't require states. Now, what would that look like? Well, I think the your outline as well as my outline of why people would believe it. Is, is 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 towards an explanation here. I, I think this is important to make this explanation because I think in order to get there, you have to at least diagnose the problems and have a solution which isn't part of the problem. And David, uh, Dave Smith has a great show name, part of the problem here. So I, I think you have to sort of get in the errors and Mises here and the errors of Mobux. So what, what do you make of like, why do people obey laws? Why do lower members of society bay. Am I on to something with the bring up Paul and Christianity here? Am I on to something there as well as the other comments with him? I think you're right to bring up Paul uh, to some extent. Um, in that I think a lot of people will follow laws because they think they ought to do so. Uh, as in they think it is part of <laughs> to our previous episode on an ideal life. And part of an ideal life is being law abiding because keeping the law is doing that which is good. And so if you can make enough people think that what they are doing is actually in their own interest to follow the law, uh, then people will do so. Um, I mean, you can see this in uh, disputes with, I think it's a good explanation, is um, with like um, Uber and taxi drivers in London. When Uber came on the scene in London, the taxi driver is obviously very opposed to them. It's like, oh, no. Uh, they're getting rid of all our business uh, because using the Uber and not using the taxi and they've been undercut and taxi drivers are going to go out of business. Um, but so what they did is to go, oh, no, well, Uber haven't really got these licenses like we have. You know, we're doing the right thing by getting the licenses rather than the taxi drivers going, uh, well, why don't we just get rid of the license anyway? Uh, why don't we just why can't we just compete on an even playing field, not by making Uber jump through more hoops, but just making us to jump through fewer hoops. Now, there's lots of historical contingencies as to why that's the case. Um, you know, they've always done it status quo bias, etc., etc. But it's still like, well, you know, wh why follow the law? Law, but because they think, you know, that, that it's just and in, 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 in a sense, and you should follow it. Um, now, there are clearly those laws which people follow just because 
they would be punished if they didn't. Um, but these tend to be ones that people think are typically more arbitrary, like uh, speed limits uh, is probably the best example of that. Whilst people recognise, yeah, diving, driving dangerously is bad and I shouldn't do it and it'd be immoral for me to do so. Just driving a little bit faster on a particular road, people go, no, that's not really a crime, is it? Um, so um, I think a lot of time people follow laws because they think they ought to follow them. The question arises, why do they think they ought to follow them? Uh, and I think there there's a, there's a bit of an interplay between um, uh, law, uh, punishment and also cultural change. And I think I mentioned before, the best example, which I really should do some study on at some point, hopefully someone's done lots of legwork for me, is on smoking. Uh, the legal prohibitions on smoking have been sort of tightened slightly at the same time as well as a cultural change against it. So there's now like a, people think that smoking is basically in a sense immoral. It is bad for you. Uh, and in a sense, you don't need that many laws on restrictions of smoking because most people just wouldn't do it. Now, some people would, and maybe it would change again if that happened and people would become more socially acceptable. But the way it was... Uh, done with some sort of legal sanctions and violence. Um, and by violence, I mean, you know, fines or potentially imprisonment. I imagine you would do if you didn't pay the fines. Um, and uh, cultural change from media, etc., I think makes uh, a big difference when uh, we're talking about that. Just one a slightly separate point. Um, you mentioned the market for law. I think that uh, you can't... I think talking about a market for law is not necessarily the best way of using the term market, depending how we want to mean it. If we mean that people buy and sell to uh, come up with laws, uh, then, okay, that might be a market. But unlike, uh, and so in that sense, um, contract law could be freely chosen, law merchants and stuff, that makes sense because you've got two contractually obligated participants. But when you have, say, criminal law or tort law, uh, the other party hasn't agreed to it. So the idea that you have with markets of exchange being mutually beneficial doesn't really work. Now, when it uh, as, as such, so having a market in the same way for laws as you have for TVs is, is not the same. Um, now, I do think you can have a market for judges. You know, you can go to one judge or another. Although I do think that's going to be uh, attenuated in a case in which somebody refuses to submit to any judge at all. Then I suppose you've got the option of declaring them outlaw. You try them in abstention or you force them to appear at a, at a court. And so in a sense, that means you're forced to buy the product at some point. Um so, and again, that would be different than buying the pizza because, well, you don't have to buy the pizza. Um, so I do think talking about the market for law is not the best way of talking about it for that reason, because I think it is significantly disanalogous to uh, most of the usage of the term market. So you say it's disanalogous and you say it's a bad term. But then I could ask the question, I mean, what would be a better term? And it, it maybe is, like, I get that question, is the minarchist right here then? You know, maybe maybe there is an exception. You can't actually have laws. 
because there is I'm I'm I've written uh the Epstein who runs the Libertarian. I think the Cato Institute put put this on, I and mean, he's a monarchist. And he's and he's pretty good on it. Uh, being a monarchist, and he says that you know he'll bring up the point that you just made that you know like. There'll be people who just say, well, they don't want that judge because they know either they know they're guilty or they know they're guilty of that law or 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 most and they'll of course reject all judges here. So, you know, this goes back to my problem with like the origins of, of law here. Like right? so like the 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 atheist non-religious person has a problem with like law origins here. Like, you know, we did an episode why is murder wrong. I got a lot of criticism I got some amount of criticism on that, because like you know, I, I basically held the view that either things are wrong because God says they are wrong, or there's no real reason other than, you know, uh, brute force of secular powers. Uh, uh, and, and, and I, th- I, when I go to like, you know, like when I talk about like, you know, if someone stole a TV from you, and this is a classic wall or someone stole a hat here for like classic Walter Block example. And I said, Oh, that was my hat. And to go, you know, all down all the rabbit holes, I actually did make that hat. You know, it meets all those standards here. Could I steal it back from you? And if I came back and steal it back from you and use force to do so, would I be a murderer? Well, you're that was my property and I'm trying to get back my hat. So am I am I a murderer here? Well then why is murder wrong to begin with here? And that's a very much of an autistic sort of a deep dive into sort of like uh, origins here. But like like uh, at some point you have to have a mechanism uh which to go after at some point, you have to use a, a force and aggression to go after, so to speak, wrongdoers as you or as society or as the RPA or as the state sees fit. I mean, Alex Jones had to submit, just an example, to uh, and Ted Kaczynski, as well as plenty of blacks and, you know, Hispanics and others had to submit to state courts. Uh, you know, you, like what separates state courts from just, you know, uh, everyone else? If you know, if I had a mock court and you and I, we said, "Oh, that person is guilty." No, that person is innocent. You know, you, so Walter Block uses the analogy of the Catholic Church, and I think this is a useful analogy here. The Catholic Church doesn't have formal legal power in the United States or Western Europe, but it has sort of some ceremonial, sort prestige power. Uh, you know, like if if the Pope says you're a heretic, he won't throw you in jail here. Um, now that's not like, that's not like actual violent thing here, but let's say, let's say if, um, I, uh, if I, to use the Walter Blocking hat example, if I stole your hat or let's, or let's even do if I murdered your wife here. Um, and it, and everyone basically figured this out that, that I was the guilty person. I would do that. But if I, if I did, um, who, let's just say the protection for me goes away. And someone you you hire someone to go kill me here. Well, now is that person who went and killed me a murderer? Well, no, I would say that person is just doing quote unquote justice as most people see fit. But technically, that's a form of aggression here. Um, technically, that's a form of aggression done by you to back towards me to in the name of enforcing the law. The Amish, of course, and the Quakers are interesting because like they. When they get hit with aggression, now we did an episode on Are They Free Riders, they would uh, sing hymns and, you know, not do things and stuff like that. Sing hymns when they get robbed, if they do get robbed. Um, you know, they would go full martyr mode immediately here. I mean, the Amish had a school, someone shot up at Amish church once and they had an offering plate towards 
uh, the mother of the uh, school sh- the shooter, I think. Uh, so, so, so there is there is a sense in which justice is extra legal, uh, and like, of course, like you know, justice done by the state is obviously extra legal here. Like, there's no way in which Julian Assange, you know, like, like is 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 quote unquote just. And this, I think, leads to people like me, as well as people like Foucault and at times Hayek and Thaddeus Russell, from just taking the view that justice is just a kind of shoddy com shoddy idea to begin with here, that justice is basically analogous with state tyranny. What justice traditionally means is just whatever the state says is um, tyrannical. So Swithin, what do you make of the thing? Do you agree that the enforcement of justice, like whatever may that, whatever that society or things be, is a kind of, in practice, an unjust process here? So like if you do steal something, you have to quote unquote steal it back. If if death penalty is the punishment, you have to have hire somebody, or you yourself, or the community has to go and murder that person. Do you agree that 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 in some strict sense that probably violates some version of the NAP, or does it not? Or does it not? Swithin, I don't think it necessarily violates uh, uh, the NAP. Um, the NAP merely states that uh, aggression is wrong, the initiation of force when somebody hasn't violated anybody's rights as determined by the NAP. But if someone has violated the rights of the NAP, then, well, then they're fair game. Uh, that's just, just, just uh, um, the just response. So uh, I, I don't see why that's necessarily um, a problem. With respect to Epstein and like, well, you know, won't submit to this court, you won't submit to that court. I mean, yeah, I mean, th- there are going to be situations in which individuals won't submit to particular uh, courts. But I mean, it, it, but that doesn't, but those edge cases, the question is how many cases would those they be? Um, whether or not that kind of justifies the state having the singular monopoly on being the um, decider in this case, and the arbiter. Um, I may have used this definition before. When it comes to you know what is a state, I basically say that the state is somebody who monopolizes um, the arbitration function of law and uh, is the only body that declares itself to uh, to pronounce judgments that are um, socially san- sanctioned. That is, if a, if a state judge says, well, yes, you should be executed, everyone goes, yeah, okay, you're going to be executed, fine, that's what the state says. But if another party had a, had a, uh, a court proceeding and said that, then they wouldn't. But, of course, if they monopolise the arbitration service, they'd never really get to sentencing anyway. Um. That's really where I'd say sort of the state lies um, in what it means to be the state. Um, so the, the state needs to have sort of some level of um, some level of uh, what am I thinking? Le- Legitimization. It has to be considered just by some people to exist, but it also needs to have force to be able to um, enact its. Um, it's it's punishment, so it's it, it's not just a, a mafia gang. Although some people, you could argue that's a proto-state in certain respects. Um, so th- th- that's the way I would sort of look at what the state is. And given my definition of state, I just don't think that's necessary. Whilst it might be necessary in certain edge cases to forcibly try people, 
Um, if it's the case, or I, I can imagine a society in which if everybody knows what the law is, um, I mean, interesting, Hopper mentions that um, early on in monarchical uh, societies, the king was considered the enforcer of, of justice and the law was kind of was pre-existed the king. And it was only later in, in monarchical situations where the king was seen as a fount of law and could determine what the law is rather than just enforcing uh basically he he was going only had the right to enforce the law i guess it's a situation where you have the law and there's lots of people who can enforce it i don't see why that necessarily leads to um one enforcer of it and but but if if it did if it did um having a situation whereby you have lots of geographically small states I say they may not necessarily have to be states in the sense in which I use the term state. Um, this allows for different people who have different uh, cultures and views to get together to have laws which sort of better fit that community. Uh, that's not to say that the laws are necessarily relative, but it's clearly certain practices that work in, say, America don't work in Saudi Arabia or Iraq. Um and that would also then allow competition in the sense that well, you people could move to the places where they preferred the legal arrangements to, to, to those areas where they didn't. And clearly the smaller the area, the easier it is to move because of less reasons not to move when you can see all your family members, whatever, who happen to live in a slightly different jurisdiction. Um, so I think that Richard Epstein is is correct in certain respect, but I don't think his conclusion follows. It's kind of like the same argument that like, Ed Faze would use. Oh, well, uh, we know that some people, um, if we respected property rights, absolutely would starve because they couldn't steal. Oh, therefore what we need is taxation to make sure that no one starves. It's like that doesn't follow in any way, shape or form. And I think Richard Epstein is basically pulling a, an analogous error. I think also the this is where I think the perfect is the enemy of the good, uh, which again I think that's the reason why I brought it in Paul here. There could be a way, and in your quotes on Aquinas here, I think are interesting here, in the sense that it could be that all quote unquote if indeed, uh, it it could be that all earthly forms of justice are incomplete. Which which again this is where I think people like Foucault are correct. Even if the term means things that are reasonable, there's plenty of instances where the state or the authorities do it unreasonably. Hoppe himself admits there's plenty of bad kings here in his, in his, uh, you know, there's plenty of bad kings, but there's also plenty of bad, you know, quote, so to speak, democratic bureaucrats and democratic, democratic in the sense that they're operating on, quote, so to speak, liberal democracies, not the party, although the party too included, but um, uh, there are plenty of, there, and they are in a sense above the law. They do things which if other quote unquote normal people, everyday people would do them, would be considered be criminal here. Um, they don't obey the law, so to speak. Uh, so, so this is where do they do they get justice? Well, no, obviously not. When the state steals uh, churches, a guy who's taking the church's money to a bank, offering because they use it as drug money, do they give it back? Well, under threat of public opinion, they do. But if you want to go and buy a boat. The uh, ATF might try to seize that $10,000 you're carrying in your glove compartment here. There's a number of instances where this has happened here. And there's a number of other instances where they just outright just take all your 
money in the bank here. So, so the state does lots of criminal things. Does anyone hold the state to account? Well, unless the state gets occupied by a foreign power, not really. I mean, uh, maybe there's some obscure some people somewhere along the lines. So, like, on our punishment episodes, you know, in a sense, we all have to be, and this is why I think Paul's useful again, we all have to be, in some sense, um, to some degree, forgiving here. And I think the the nature of the a decentralized system here, if states indeed are necessary, but see, if you admit that they're necessary, they have to admit that a one-world government are, are necessary. So we can't you can't fully admit that without without you have to make some reason why there have to be many states, not one state. Now you can maybe do that with through an aversion to monopolies. So that does open up the door for a Mises, Hoppy, and Moldbug synthesis. But you could say, well, then then if I don't want to submit, I can go flee to somewhere else. But in this kind of world, if I flee to somewhere else, will they want me? Well, if I'm Julian Assange. I mean, I can imagine lots of people that want them. If if he could actually break out of the jail cell he's in, I imagine plenty of people would put him up free of charge. He's not really a threat to order. But if he is a actual threat to order, uh, you know, by as described, then he wouldn't be free. And we did an episode on punishment. What would punishment look like in an ideal society? It could just be more banishment. Um, and you know, you know, if you don't like. If you don't like, you know, Catholic rules, or maybe you could try to emigrate to a, you know, the, a Saudiistan. If you don't like Saudiistan, maybe you could Im- immigrate to Japanistan. But see, this is where I think having competing laws would be a virtue because, you know, now that would be depend on them accepting you too, or or if they 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 might have an open borders policy, so maybe they'll just automatic let you in here. Um, so that that would be my that would be my solution. There is some amount of leakage that would happen. But what get, tends to get forgotten is there's plenty of instances of unjust acts. And Moldaber bring up the, the claim, like, you know, when you're in a city, in certain cities in the United States, he'll use the example, well, do you fear this police more or do you fear the local gang more? Or do you fear, like, private tyranny, so to speak, you know, small petty theft? Okay, well, those instances, I do feel small private theft of certain groups. But if you get technical mold bug, one reason why you can't like you can't you can't just carry, I think in certain American cities, if you if you carry a loaded weapon without a permit, you're basically a felon if they if they catch you. And this is where anarcho tyranny is actually at reign, not petty, not uh, and it's the state's actually going after as Hans Hopper points, law-abiding citizens. So you can't personally defend yourself quite easily. Now this is this is obviously true in places like. Canada and, and, and Britain, where it's an outright crime to defend yourself. So this is another instance where the state has, in narco-tyrannical sense, crept in. <coughs> Excuse me there. Um, so, so if you get into the technical details of the examples, um, there are some um, errors in there here. So yeah, some leakage of justice will occur if indeed justice exists. Um, if indeed uh, it, it does exist and it's not merely uh, some sort of fiat. And if it is only fiat, then you want the best system. The best system will arise here, uh, or or the, or maybe the worst system will arise. So I, I'm I'm fully open to Hoppe being wrong, and as well as Paul being wrong here. But then, like, what what exactly is the alternative here? And is that clear? They lay out a very good alternative here, and they don't really account for why the small states of like the late 1800s turned into the large managerial states here. 
um, within you know a good number of years. So that's my, that'd be my comment here. What do you make of like the leakage point here, and what do you make of like the uh, you know the banishment point here? Is that a useful thing? Like so, like if I if the, the person who doesn't want to submit, if he just you know if the the, the the small society would just kick him out and he has to go somewhere else, would that be a useful way to deal with the problem? It's certainly a possible way. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be the best way of doing it in every single uh, occasions, but yeah, certainly. Uh, that's true. Uh, and, and yeah, I think you're right. You are going to get leakage in uh, these situations. I think uh, the idea that you can have perfect justice on Earth is just absurd. You're not going to. I mean, uh, I mean, you get leakage today. I mean, um, oh, the heck, what's he called? Uh, Roman Polanski left America when he had uh, the uh, the child sex um, case, uh, case on him. He just disappeared to France. Uh, which, no, that's what Julian Assange should have done. Go to France, they will not extradite you to America, because the French never do. Although they may have done in the case of Assange, possibly, but, in Mo- but you're much safer in France than you are in England, which is everything the Americans said, say. Um, so, um, Assange... So you, doing- uh, my, my other comment was like on, like Mobug says like, you have to fear private crime from like certain gangs in certain certain cities here rather than the police. What do you make of that? Like my quick response would be if you look into technical details, you can't defend yourself, in the United, even in the United States, which has a second amendment, let alone Europe. What do you make of that comment here? Oh, yeah, no, that's entirely true. And I think it misses the entire context. It's like, oh, who do you fear? It's like, well, uh, why don't I fear the police? Because I've already paid my protection money otherwise known as I have already paid the IRS or HM Revenue and Customs. Um, because otherwise, the police might come and say, we well, haven't paid it. And it's like, well, not. Well, we're going to come and take you away. Well, in which case, I'm going to fear the police. So um, I think that misses the um, overall uh, context in which the police operate. And yes, certainly, there are many cases. I mean, it's so annoying. It's like, oh, no, there's young, there's, there's teenagers in London. And... Uh, Oh, they're carrying knives. It's like, oh no, this is a great crime. It's like, hang on, they're in London. It looks like there might be some violence. I'm, I'm pretty sure it'd be a decent idea to carry a knife. You know, because if you get attacked, well, you can attack someone who's attacking you. Like, surely that makes sense. Oh no, it's really terrible. It's like, what? So you want these kids to go around unarmed into areas where there's actual criminals who just ignore ignore the law anyway. I mean, so yeah, I, I definitely think there's an arcuatory at work. Um, what I would say is, again, Quaff, I don't wish to go out to defend the police, but there are certain, but the functions that police perform, which I think, are pr- well, there's multiple. You could say that they're preventative of crime and they kind of investigate crime. I mean, they are two good functions. You would want those to take place. Um. Um. But, but who performs them uh, better and whether you need the police as a singular body to do it is, is another question. Again, though, on other group, people will say, well, you know, if you have private police, they'd be worse than the actual police. Is it? I suppose they might. Uh, they might be. But again, we're going to get to the same sort of general points we've outlined before, that, you know, you can have essential competition in certain respects, um, in different areas, of different packages, um of, of services and so um so yeah it is true that some people do fear private crime more than the government that's true i mean the government does provide a semblance of order 
if you keep the rules that they tell you have to keep, uh, and then you might be okay or fine. But that's not that much different from the protection racket from the mafia. So, yeah. Um, uh, mob- or, or if you define it in the worst way, it would be that much different than the rights protection agencies that libertarians, that anarchist libertarians advocate as a solution here. Now, maybe that's a that's maybe that's a slight toward them. But like, wouldn't you want one that uh, wouldn't you want one that intends to operate competitively? Maybe not. Maybe this is goes into the libertarian. Like, you don't want competitive uh, a, a kidnapper here. Okay. Well, see, then then the state. You know, Augustine. Let's go back to the pawpaw. Then Augustine will say the state without justice is a gang of robbers. Well, then the state is just a gang of robbers here. Okay. So we should just have an aversion to the state, not advocate monarchies. We should just say, well, state agents are criminals. Maybe they're necessary. But see, you can't say there's such things as a necessary criminal here. And this is where Mises and gets a lot, I think, Kant in him, um, and, and and so does Moldbug, where it's like they're very logical in a sense, but like they they, they don't want to swallow the whole they don't want to swallow the whole program here. And that, that's that's why I think the irritant here, the anarchists are much more pure. And the, whether a hop himself is out anarchist, he 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 he's become more monarchist this way but that that would be my point here that like you have to sort of swallow the whole program here in a sense and and i if the state is just a gang of robbers here which i think is i do think this police has useful functions but those why couldn't those useful functions be done on a quote-unquote market i don't see why if, if crime was committed against me you know you could have a you know let's say there's a charity you know you can't afford to have the justice done you have Gary North Inc. or you have Margaret Sanger Inc. And they they sort of like um they sort of like compete here. I think Walter Block's example of the Catholic Church today is very useful here, uh, of like what might competing uh competing justice or competing uh uh gangs would look like. That'd be my that'd be my point here. What do you make of that? Uh, I I think yes um that that can happen. I mean I think it all comes back to law. I mean if if these bodies are these groups, these 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 police services are acting within uh, whatever the law is within a particular area. Then fine. I mean, that's perfectly reasonable. Um, like you go know, to private security are doing things that you know are legal, um, and as long as they keep within that and they're not sort of outlaw um, police forces or whatever then, you know, that's absolutely fine. Uh, the, the question is whether that's possible, uh, is, is the question. But then, even if it's not, I would then say, well, we know that small states exist in the case of Liechtenstein, Andorra, etc. So then, you know, why couldn't you just have those kind of situations? Now, of course, you could say, well, they're very particular, but I mean, and then you could say, well, they're not really sovereign because then you get the idea that, well, actually, no, they're part of the American hegemony, etc. You, you can always go there. But I mean, we've at least got prima facie reason to believe that that's, that's possible. But uh, it's an interesting topic, Tim. And I'd just like to thank everyone for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends and family and subscribe to us on Podbean on YouTube. The higher, the more subscribers we get, the higher we get in the search rankings and the more people can access this material. And if you'd like to contact the show for any reason at all, please contact us at gmail.com. That's mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com. 